0: Well, good evening. If you're visiting or new, my name's Ryder Rod. I'm one of the pastors here at WBC. I wasn't going to be giving this talk. Joel was, um, as we've been working through this three-week series uh, on the Holy Spirit. But he came down, unfortunately, with the flu yesterday. Um, so we have a swap. Um, but we're still completing our three-week series. So you may remember the first week uh, Joel spoke on the identity of the Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about the work of the Holy Spirit in the individual believer's life and focused on sanctification. Uh, Today we're thinking more broadly about the work of the Spirit in the church, particularly to help it grow, and we're going to focus on spiritual gifts as we do that from those um, passages tonight. Uh, So let me uh, pray for us now as we um, uh, come to these passages that God would really help us by His Spirit that we might uh, understand and respond to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to gather together tonight. Uh, We acknowledge that it's a privilege that other believers around the world don't always share. And so, Lord, we pray that as we meet that you might uh, help us to uh, think hard together about what you are teaching us through your word. Lord, we acknowledge that we only have understanding as your spirit enlightens our minds and helps us to apply it in our lives. And so, Lord, we ask for your spirit to be at work in each of us to that end. For We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, back at the end of 1999, uh, my wife Christine and I had the opportunity to travel to Europe for a few weeks. And while we were over there, we particularly went and visited Italy. Now, Italy is a country with uh, many famous tourist destinations, obviously, but one that still ranks up the top of lots of people's lists is Pisa, where you can go and see the Leaning Tower, of course. Now, While we were there, we did the obligatory photos, you know, everybody's there standing next to each other trying to kick it down or push it down or hold it up or something like that. But obviously, there's some big structural issues with this building, and they've been there for a long time. Uh, While we were there, you couldn't actually climb the tower. They had shut down the tower for about 11 years during that period while they were doing lots of work. There were huge steel cables holding the thing up, and they'd been digging all kinds of um, tunnels underneath it trying to shore up. Uh, the thing but it actually has a lean of about four to five degrees at the base but that equates to nearly four meters difference at the top Uh, so there's quite a lean on this and you might think well maybe that's due to the fact that they built this tower over three stages um, and it took them 177 years to do it Uh, no that's not quite it Um, we might think too it was because they didn't have great engineering design when they started this building in 1173 But now if you look at some of the impressive buildings around the world today that are still standing, they often knew more than we do even now. And so that wasn't the problem either. The problem was the foundation. They had set it in very uh, unstable subsoils here and they didn't do any serious footings. They only did about a three-meter foundation for this building. The design was flawed from the very start. And within five years, it started to lean as they'd only got to the third story on it. See, the most important part of the building is always the foundation. Um, Nobody sees it, but nothing can effectively be built on top of it unless it's right. As we think about uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in the church tonight, particularly his uh, endowing people with gifts that they might use in service of the church, we need to firstly think about the foundations on which uh, the Spirit helps us to build. And so the big question I want us to ask tonight is this, how do our spiritual gifts help build the church? How do our spiritual gifts help build the church? And that brings me to the first answer to that question. First answer is by building upon the work of Christ and his apostles and prophets. So the Apostle Paul has some important words to say that we read in that first reading in Ephesians 2. So have a look again with me from verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. So before we consider how the Spirit works through our gifts to build Christ's church, the first thing to be clear about here is that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone in this uh, building analogy that Paul's using. And this means that the Gentile readers who first read this letter, and indeed ourselves today, 2,000 years later, Uh, need to understand clearly that we have been founded on Christ, that our faith is built on him. It's his death and resurrection that wins us forgiveness, that allows us to be adopted into God's family if we placed our trust in him. That's what Ephesians 2 talks about running up to verse 19. And so if we're to take hold of this free gift, be adopted in his family, then we become, notice, part of his household. We'll see lots of corporate language here in Ephesians 2. And Ephesians 4. We're part of this growing building of God's people, we're told in verse 20. And yet, all of this is built on this crucial foundation block of uh, Christ as the chief cornerstone. The rest of the building has to take its alignment from Him. The position of all the other stones, indeed, is determined by Him. Now, secondly, the rest of the foundation, uh, which presents people as the building blocks, if you like, is comprised, did you notice, of the apostles and prophets. So who are these people? Well, the apostles were those who were specially commissioned and sent by the Lord Jesus. They were those who witnessed his life and his death and his resurrection and who were appointed to be those who were sent. That's what the word apostle means. They provided that essential link between Jesus, their master, and the first century church that would grow out of their witness. And so they received the revelation of God through the Holy Spirit to them and then proclaimed that revelation you know, both verbally in what they said as they spoke in different um, settings, but also as they wrote down what we now have as the New Testament as they recorded God's word, uh, which also proclaimed that good news. Now, the prophets here um, are speaking about New Testament prophets. I think so often when we hear that word prophet, we think immediately Old Testament prophets. We're thinking Elijah, Moses, this kind of thing. But no, um, the focus here is on New Testament prophets, hence the order, apostles and prophets, because they, like the apostles, were foundational in terms of proclaiming the gospel message, receiving God's word and um, relating it to God's people. And so we see in summary here, in terms of the foundations, is the church is built on Jesus as the chief cornerstone and the apostles and prophets who then proclaim that good news about him. And so as we begin to talk about how the Holy Spirit helps God's church to grow, we have to understand that foundation which gives shape to what will follow. Because if the foundations are faulty, then the building on top will be faulty just like the Tower of Pisa. And when that happens, it's really hard to fix, as they've found over the last few centuries. Um, You can keep playing with the foundations and seeking to get things right again, but after things have headed in a certain direction, it's hard to pull it back. Now, you might have noticed in Ephesians 2, the focus is growth. Now, there's certainly growth alluded to in verse 21, verse 22, as we hear about this building that is rising and being built together by God. But what is the nature of that growth? And how does the role of the spiritual gifts within the life of the church help that growth to take place? Well, that's the second and third points that we're going to come to now. So let me come to the second answer to our question. You know, how is it that spiritual gifts help Christ's church to grow? Well, firstly, by building on the foundation that is Christ, but secondly, because he has distributed gifts to all believers, different gifts indeed, to every believer. So have a look at our second passage, Ephesians 4. We're going to look at verse 7 for a moment. Paul writes, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, not only here is Jesus the cornerstone of the building, but the continued growth of his church is dependent upon God's people using their spiritual gifts, which Jesus himself distributes here in Ephesians 4. Now, I think we're often used to thinking, okay, the spiritual gifts, obviously they've been endowed by the Holy Spirit. And elsewhere we read that, 1 Corinthians 12, where there's an even longer list of spiritual gifts. It's said that the Spirit gives out those gifts. Here we see Christ is distributing them. That's just part, again, of that relational um, involvement of the Trinity or the Godhead in so many of the things that God does, the overlaying uh, functions where they work together to put that in perspective, think about creation for a moment. You know, God, the father speaks, but it's through his word that things are brought into being. And it's the spirit who hovers over the waters, all three members of the Trinity involved in creation. Think about salvation. Same again. The father may have planned from all eternity that he would send the son, but it's the son who comes, takes on flesh, lays down his life in payment of sin, But the application of that message, the regeneration of individuals as they respond to the gospel is the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's that same spirit that indwells believers who then share that gospel message that goes out to all the world. So creation, salvation, and you could name so many other areas, all the members of the Trinity working together. And so it's no contradiction at all that the gifts of the Spirit are given by Christ and they're endowed by the Holy Spirit. Now have a look at... um, What is listed here, um, what is mentioned here in verse 7, every believer receives one or more spiritual gifts. Uh, Verse 7 says to each one of us. uh, These gifts of grace or spiritual gifts are for all believers. So no Christian can say, look, I have no spiritual gift for which I can do any task in the church. I can't contribute to the work of it growing. Paul would say otherwise, Every believer can serve. Everybody has been gifted to serve. We've all got something to offer. Also, this uh, verse means that we can't be envious of other people or their gifts and think, oh, well, I wish I'd been given that gift, but I don't like this that God is doing for me. It's very clear here, as we've already seen, that whether it's Christ or the Holy Spirit, it is God who determines the distribution of spiritual gifts for the common good of the body, that is, the church. It's not about the individual, and I think this is hard for us because we live in such an individualistic age, but the discussion here, the language is always the body, the corporate, it's the building that's being built. And so as we think through here, uh, we need to be very clear that we all simply play a part in God's greater purpose of growing his church. It's not about the individual so much and their um, feelings about their gift, but it's about their contribution to the work of growing Christ's church. And no one has all of the gifts, and we need every single member to serve together. No one can do it on their own. And so what we see in passages like this in 1 Corinthians 12 is this diversity of gifts. There's a whole range of things, um, and yet we're to work together in a unified manner to see the church built up. Unity, but not Uniformity. There's a diversity of ways in which God has gifted his people, and they all contribute to the greater good. We complement each other in that sense. So, notice in verse 11, as we drop down to there, Paul returns to his direct discussion of these gifts after a bit of an aside in verses 8 to 10. And here in verse 11, he just lists four particular gifts. Notice what it says again. So, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, The evangelists, the pastors and teachers. You might say, well, there's five terms there. I'm mentioning four gifts. Pastors and teachers are linked in the original Greek, but it's got the same single definite article. So it's only one gift or function together there. And these four gifts listed, they're not the only spiritual gifts. Uh, As I've already mentioned, 1 Corinthians 12 has a much longer list. Romans 12 has quite a list. There's another list in 1 Peter 4. If you add up all the different spiritual gifts that are named just in those passages, you have 20. And none of those lists claim to be exhaustive. God is blessing his church and his people by endowing them with many different types of gifts. And the result is that we can work to serve Christ and to build up his church. Now, this list here in Ephesians 4, where he just has four, there's a particular focus on... Ministers of the word through whom the gospel is either revealed or declared or taught. Now, these are gifts that are given to individuals, but they're gifts for the whole church again. They have a particular role in helping the body to grow. And so the gifts are not for the leaders themselves. It shouldn't puff them up. It's not about pride again, but rather they're to realize the responsibility that comes with that, that they may serve the body and help the church. Uh, for the sake of God's glory. Well, let's consider those four gifts just for a moment and dig a little bit deeper on what Paul's speaking about here. Firstly, uh, the apostles and the prophets, we've already mentioned them, uh, they're foundational because they're the authoritative recipients and the proclaimers of the good news. They were the ones who lived and ate and worked with Jesus and they have received that gospel word and have shared it in that first century as the church is established. In addition in this list we've got evangelist notice. Now I think evangelists we're uh, used to thinking about that word more but it's actually not used a lot in the New Testament. Uh, It's used of Philip. He's spoken of as an evangelist in Acts 21. He was actually the guy that went and took the good news to the Samaritans for the first time in Acts chapter 8. He takes himself off to Samaria and many people respond to the gospel. He's also the same one in that chapter who comes running alongside the Ethiopian eunuch in his chariot and explains Isaiah 53 to him. Presumably that man goes back to his country and shares that good news with the whole nation. Philip the Evangelist. There's also a Epaphras. Now he's not given that title, Evangelist, but Paul speaks about him when he writes the, church, uh, the letter to the church in Colossae. He says, well, I didn't plant this church at Colossae. I'm writing to encourage you, but it was Epaphras that planted this church. And later in the letter, he talks about Epaphras' work in starting the church in Laodicea and also Hierapolis. And so, again, Epaphras, an evangelist who not only shared, uh, like Philip, no doubt, one-to-one with people, but also in much wider range of work in terms of planting churches and establishing them. And finally, uh, the fourth A gift that's listed in this passage in Ephesians 4 is pastors or pastor-teachers. And that's a term that's used um, in various ways in the New Testament. Elder and overseer mean the same thing as pastor or shepherd. They're interchangeable terms. And speaking of leadership in a local church, nurturing the people, teaching God's Word. So think about in the New Testament, um, Timothy, who was assigned by Paul to be the pastor at Ephesus, or think about Titus, who was assigned by Paul to be the pastor in Crete. They were responsible for the management, the day-to-day building up of the church in those locations. Well, how are we thinking, how are we to think about the relationship of some of these gifts as we look at the church today? Well, let me give you just one example. Uh, Consider the way evangelists and pastor teachers have interacted in Australia Uh, One famous example is the Billy Graham Crusades. Uh, They started with the first and the biggest in terms of its impact in 1959. Um, Billy Graham came for nearly a third of the year. It was about 106 days. Uh, Estimated 3 million people heard the gospel uh, as he moved around Australia. And in Sydney alone, 57,000 people responded uh, to the message uh, going forward after the meetings. Now, Billy Graham arrived in February uh, that year uh, to start what was known as the Southern Cross Crusade. But it was something that had been uh, built up to for about 12 months or more. Many um, Protestant uh, church leaders throughout local churches in Australia had worked together in unity to bring Billy Graham out. And they had planned the events that would uh, follow, and they'd thought about the follow-up that would happen after he had left. The result was there was a great meshing together or working between somebody who was a famous evangelist and many pastor teachers in local churches. In the aftermath, uh, there was a systematic follow-up of all those people, 57,000 in Sydney and many others uh, throughout Australia. Christian literature was mailed to people that had responded. They were put in contact with local churches and followed up so that they might be grafted into a local church and built up in their faith as they could come along Sunday by Sunday. Here is the work of the evangelist and pastor-teacher in sync together. That brings me to a third answer to this question. If would ask the question, how do the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit grants us build up Christ's church? Thirdly, they do so by leading us in united service and maturity. By leading us in united service and maturity. Now Paul turns to this point in verses 12 to 16 as he describes how these gifts of Christ will lead to growth. Have a look at verse 12 with me. Here is the purpose. They are to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. See, the first way here that the Spirit works through us to build the church is by preparing God's people, or that is, equipping or training people. The idea here is to um, fill up what is lacking. This equipping or perfecting is aimed at preparing Christians so that they might serve if they're not already or for further service if they're already giving themselves wholeheartedly to God. And so the idea of this verse is to bring condition, uh, Christians to a condition of readiness to use the gifts that God has blessed them with. But notice secondly and importantly here, the purpose of this equipping or this training is that we may be offering these works of service, that we will put our shoulders to the wheel, as it were, and give ourselves in service of the church. Christians should always be serving. Uh, It's really the argument over and over in the New Testament that we're to give ourselves in service and to prepare ourselves for further service. Now, I think sometimes we can think, oh, look, you know, I've already been involved here for some years. I've been involved in this and that. I've got... Uh, on different rosters, but we can always be prepared for further service or perhaps different service in the the future that will bring a new responsibility. I mean, you could think about the example we just heard tonight in Tim and Beck. You know they've been serving amongst us and doing many things in the evening congregation for which we're very thankful and we'll certainly miss them. But they've been thinking about whether God might lead them into new areas of service, certainly using gifts and skills that they have, and so doing the perspectives course now is further equipping them for what God will have them to do in Cambodia. It's a great example of this situation. And the why of all this equipping and serving, you know, the goal of this process is in the second half of verse 12. It's so that the body may be built up. It's about growth. Spiritual gifts aren't simply given for uh, you know, the encouragement of an individual believer, but they're to work incorporately corporately for the sake of a whole body of believers so that the church may grow, not just in numbers, uh, but in quality and depth of maturity. And that's why it's so important that what is done for Christians in terms of equipping them and what is done by Christians in terms of serving is all about the bigger picture of Christ's church. Church grows, it becomes stronger as people use the gifts that the Spirit has blessed them with. It's a wonderful thing to be able to serve, and it's not only to serve within the church, but it's also to give our attention and time and the gifts that God has blessed us with to serve those outside the church. On this kind of analysis of church growth, Paul would say to us, I think, The only way the church won't grow is if people fail to use their gifts and contribute what Christ has given them. We can all serve in some way. If we only focus on one area of interest, our own perhaps, to the detriment of the bigger picture, then yes, we'll struggle as well because church is like a team sport. We need everyone serving. We can't have most of the players sitting on the benches and only a couple of people out on the field or we can't have everyone running in different directions on the oval and not working together as a team. We won't make progress or grow as God intended us to. Let's uh, take that a step further. Um, Hockey is one of those many team sports um, which just doesn't work, or certainly the team doesn't go well, unless people actually stay in their position and work together. Now, I, I've never had much to do with hockey. I might have had a couple of hits when I was at high school, but my daughter has started hockey this winter for the first time and we've just uh, completed, and I've enjoyed uh, watching uh, throughout this winter. They just played their grand final uh, on Saturday and lost, but they've had a great year and she's learned a lot. But even in hockey, you can have people that are star players that will, of course, you know, want to dribble the ball all the way through the field and not pass it to anyone. And we saw that a few occasions this year. But it always ends in um, grief because eventually the ball will get taken off that person. So much easier to pass to somebody who's in space and use your other team mem- members to work together. You're far more effective as a team. And, of course, it can work so that everybody just wants to hit it all at once and it's played like an under-six soccer team where, you know, there's a swarm of players just following the ball around the field. And the same can happen in hockey. It's even harder and it's more dangerous. You've got 20 people to stick, trying to bash at the same time. It's very messy and ineffective. You can't even see the goal, let alone score one. Who can hit the thing? So with no clear teamwork, no serving each other, not much progress is made. Now, church can be like this. Unfortunately, I think today many people are unsure if church has a goal. And if it does they're not sure that they themselves have any purpose in reaching that goal. And if a person has that mindset, then it'll be very easy for them to find something more attractive to do on a Sunday night or during the week when home group is on. You know, if I see more direction and purpose in some hobby that I pursue or some sport that I'm interested in or in my job, where there's more direction in what's happening there, then I'll give my energy and attention to these other things. But in so doing, I'll miss out on God's great work in this world, which is centered on the local church. As amazing as it seems, through a gathering like ourselves, God is changing the world one person at a time. The local church and our service of it is so important, and everyone has been gifted to serve in some way. And without just one person's commitment to use their gifts, we all lack as a result. And the church won't move forward as it might. But it leaves us with a question, I think, you know, what's the nature of this building up? I mean, how do we know if the church is humming, is working well, if everyone is serving together and we're effectively moving forward? You know, because we know in a sporting team, if we take a hockey team, if... If your team is scoring goals at one end and effectively defending at the other, then things are working well. The team is playing together well. But what are the goals or markers when we think about church? And what will it look like to be effective? I think Paul addresses that in verses 13 to 16. Have a look at verse 13 firstly with me. He states this, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the first marker here is unity in the faith. The faith here is just shorthand again for the gospel, those vital truths about Christ and his life and death and resurrection. And I think Paul's effectively saying here, when the gospel is clearly taught and upheld a variety of people from lots of different backgrounds, with different gifts, different levels of knowledge will come together and grow as a local church. They'll move forward together in their understanding of salvation and their desire to serve and see more people, one to Christ. This will increasingly bring unity as we grow in this way. But secondly, not only will we be unified, but we're to become mature. That's the other marker, or reach the whole measure or stature of Christ. Now, the, the phrase here, becoming mature, The analogy behind it in the original Greek is to move from childhood to adulthood. We all understand that concept of of moving forward, of growing up. And it's not that we reach some new perfect level, you know, if we've got our act together, that somehow I'll reach this level as an individual or we will collectively as a church where we're so mature there's no room to grow. No, there's always room to be growing and to be serving more and to seeing Christ at work more through his people as they Um, serve him in the power of his spirit. In fact, what we've got to avoid is falling back into immaturity. And Paul defines that for us in verses 14 and 15. See, the problem where this maturity will be lacking is when we're self-serving, and that will lead to division. So this part about maturity, Paul goes on, doesn't he, in verse 14. Have a look at that. This is what maturity won't involve then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Maturity involves being sound in doctrine, not changing our biblical beliefs based on someone's latest man-made teaching. The struggle for the church in the last 50 years, one of many, is that we've been very quick to follow the latest fad so often. Here's this latest book, 40 days of this, or one week of this, or this five-week course, or if you just do this prayer or run this program, then that will be the silver bullet. And then we'll immediately see growth. We'll see so many people come to Christ. If we could just do this one thing, and of course that's replaced two months later with the next one thing, and if we just do that, and if we follow that kind of um, flow, then we're just blown around like a rudderless ship on the water. And what that does for people is produces confusion, it produces division. We're uncertain of our purpose and how we're going to get there. But I think we see through this passage and throughout the New Testament that actually God calls us to the hard yards. There is no silver bullet, there's no quick fix. It's actually one person at a time growing in their godliness, growing in their desire to serve, to use the gifts that God has endowed with them, them with so that the body may be built up. And week by week, day by day even, we see people growing in their understanding and service and increasing in their impact on those around them. And Paul says in verse 15 that if we are being blown around or seeking something that will just happen overnight, then we need to actually speak the truth in love and will grow to become, he says, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Now, Paul's saying that maturity and growth will see God's word upheld, will see false teaching rebuked or corrected, not in a manner that tears people down, but speaks the truth in love. Now, we need to do that day by day for each other. We can so often uh, sort of go off track here or there, We can begin to think that serving is just too hard, that contributing what God has given me is not what is making me feel like I'm rewarded in. But the devil always wants us to take our lives off the game, to be not interested in the pathway that God has given us, to be searching somewhere else for something new or different. But notice in verse 16 that in Christ, the body of the church grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Look, to put it simply, I need you and you need the person beside you and every other person in the room. Only collectively do we have the strength using the gifts that God has blessed us with as a congregation to serve that we might grow together, that we might move forward every person is important and it doesn't matter what the role or gift is. I think the worry people often have too is that, well, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I'm not quite sure where I should give my energy to. And at times we can then be sort of thinking, well, I just need to wait for that sort of lightning bolt from heaven that I know that this is the one thing that I need to do for the rest of my life. Rarely does God give that to someone. I think what we see so often, and my experience throughout my Christian walk has been, God shows us the gifts and where we can serve as we step out, willing to give things a go. Look for where the needs are and say, I'll put my hand up for that. See where that leads. So often a person thinks, oh no, I'm not good in that area. And then eventually they try something and they discover indeed, actually God has really blessed me to be able to do that well. Look, as we reflect on the work of the Spirit in our church, I think we've got to ask the question, if the goal is maturity, are we growing as a congregation to maturity? You might say, well, how do I assess that? How would I answer that question? Where do I start? Well, I think from this passage, we've got to realize that growth individually and as the body that we're part of is determined by our equipping and our service. Verse 12 is really the key. And so I think the question is, are you being equipped to offer greater works of service? You've been endowed by the Holy Spirit with gifts that you can share and use for the building up of his body. The question is whether we're being trained to use them, whether we're being willing to step out and put our shoulder to the wheel. Are you playing a part in the body here? Because we all have a role. Now, let me say, um, as somebody said to me uh, after leaving the morning service, that sometimes we can be in a season where we don't feel like we're ready to serve. Sometimes some really hard things have been happening. And there can be different seasons in life where we're more involved or less involved. As this person said, sometimes church needs to be a hospital where I'm being put back together, as it were, or growing again in my trust in Christ because of events that have overtaken me. Sure. Don't hear me saying to you tonight, feel guilty if you're not doing enough or do one more thing. No, it's all about giving ourselves wholeheartedly with what we can do at this point. And God may show us a new thing to do next year or the year after. And we need to be on the lookout for that as well. I think the thing that actually plays against us really seeking to wholeheartedly give ourselves year after year to service is that we live in a culture that's working against that all the time. Have you noticed, in most fields of life, people are wanting to know what they'll get out of this thing that they're going to go to. I ring up a tradesman, I want to know what I'm going to get for my money. What will they do for me? How good will this service be? It's all about this individualistic, consumer-oriented culture. And so it's so easy for me to just slip into, as I come to church, I wonder what I'll get out of church tonight. What will it do for me? The question as I come every week is, what can I give to church tonight? How can I serve those that God has placed me amongst so that his church may be built up? Let me encourage you, the smallest word of encouragement, the smallest act of kindness smallest part on the roster, whatever it might be, can have enormous ripple effects on those around you. There's so many ways in which we can serve. So let's aim to give ourselves to that, knowing that God has endowed us by his Spirit, with gifts to use for his work, for his glory. So let's collectively put our shoulders to the wheel that we might see Christ's church grow as his Spirit empowers us and enables us to serve one another. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we see in your word in Ephesians 4, uh, you're all about the growth of your church. Indeed, this brings you glory, for Christ is exalted by more and more people and more deeply by those who have already come to him. Through faith. Lord, we pray that you might help us to think about how we're being further equipped for whatever you might have ahead for us in our life. Help us too, Lord, to think hard about how we're serving, not just how we might have served in the past, but what you've got for us today or next week. Lord, we thank you that your Spirit has blessed us, has granted us spiritual gifts that are for the greater good, for the common good of this body, the church, that we're a part of. Lord, help us to see the great privilege of serving, being part of your great plans in this world, that we may see many more people grow and be built up, that on that great day when Christ has returned and your people are taken to heaven, that there will be a people that are your very own from every tribe and language that have been gathered together by you, ready to worship you in fullness of understanding. Lord, we long for that great day, but in the meantime, help us to play our part in seeing many more join that great gathering. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.